Established in African-American communities on December 31st, 1862, Watch Night is a gathering to celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation becoming law. When the clock struck midnight on January 1st, 1863, all slaves in the Confederate States were proclaimed free. Since that date, many African-Americans have celebrated the good news of freedom on New Year's Eve. Like the slaves who first gathered while the Civil War raged on, we proclaim freedom for all captives in Jesus' name. Knowing that for millions, freedom is not a reality, our celebration is a commitment to join modern-day slaves and discouraged workers in their struggles for justice. Writing about the watch night, Booker T. Washington said, As the great day grew near, there was more singing in the slave quarters than usual. It was bolder. It had more ring and lasted later into the night. True, they had sung those same verses before, but they had been careful to explain that the freedom in these songs referred to the next world and had no connection with life in this world. Now they gradually threw off the mask and were not able to let it be, or, and were not afraid to let it be known that the freedom in their songs meant freedom of the body. In this world, Washington comments on what people looked like when their lives were radically transformed. They knew they were going to be free. And so the songs, even though they had been sung before, now were sung with greater passion, with greater desire, and with greater power because there was truth in them. Before, they looked at freedom as something they could have in death. But now freedom in their life was a reality, something for them to be excited about. These songs were were no longer sung with just wishful hope, but they were sung with certainty. These songs were being sung by soon-to-be free people. The day we understand the cross and we look at it in our own lives, nothing in our routine really changed. Many of us, when we saw the cross, we didn't quit our jobs immediately. Many of us, we didn't decide in that moment we were moving out and getting on. We went back to our same routines, except everything now was different. A life that was meaningless now had purpose. Our hurting souls were filled with hope because we had finally seen the love of Jesus. And so although our routines mostly did not change, our entire world changed. When Jesus died on the cross for us, our entire world changed. Do we sing the songs on Sunday like our entire world has changed? Do we live in our lives like our entire world has changed? Do we read our Bibles and try to grow deeper with God like our entire world has changed? In Jesus' time, the world did actually change. As we'll see shortly, the weather actually changed when Jesus was on the cross. A thick curtain that was deemed uh, unrippable, unterrible, tore in two like it was nothing. Holy men who had died came back to life and began to walk around the earth. Which I'm kind of upset at the Bible that we don't get much commentary on that. There's a part in the Bible like, oh yeah, and then people just came back to life. Talk about that, please. That would be fun. But anyway, so here are the facts of the cross. 
Darkness came over the land at noon. The temple curtain fell apart into two pieces. And people who were dead came back to life. Jesus dying on the cross provoked all of these events. And here's what I find fascinating. There were still some people who didn't believe it. There were still some people who weren't paying attention to what was going on. But there were others that had their eyes wide open and could see everything. So today I want to focus on a group of people that were standing near the cross, like we talked about earlier, and and focus on some individuals and how the cross transformed them or had no impact. And and even though it's interesting, this group of people were standing together, their responses were radically different. And so our focus today will be on the centurion and the group of soldiers that were with him as they stood near the cross. So the title of my lesson today is Soldiers of Fortune. Excuse me. Soldiers of Fortune is a, is a popular expression that describes a, a soldier who doesn't fight for honor, but fights for his own glory, for his own wealth, and, and for his own pride, essentially. And we're going to see this here in, in a moment as we look at the scriptures. There were soldiers that were really only out for themselves. So much so that they missed an incredible event that was happening right before their eyes because they were fixated on their own desires. You know, I think of some of the incredible moments that have happened in, the, in my lifetime that, that I've honestly just had to stop and stare at. And I've mentioned some of these before. Uh, when the towers fell uh, on 9-11, I feel like the whole world, we just stopped and stared at those events. We couldn't look away. For me, when, when I saw on TV Princess Diana die, I feel like our whole kind of the, the group we were in together, we just couldn't look away from the television. This, this wasn't real, but we were processing it. In our minds, it wasn't real, but we were processing it and just we couldn't look away. You know, but I also saw, remember some of the amazing events that God has done kind of in this world. I remember in school, we were told about a comment we just had to see. Uh, it was called the, I had to look it up because I didn't remember the name of the comet, but the Hale Bop Comet. Exactly, right? 96. I was 10 years old. Some of you weren't born yet. Amen. But uh, I remember, like, you have to see this comet. And we're like, okay, we'll go outside. I, I was unimpressed. I was like, oh, cool. You know, 10 years old, what are, you, what are you excited about? But there are other things that we, as a world, we've stopped and looked at, right? I think of like the solar eclipse, right? So they're like, hey, go outside. It's un- wonderful. Just don't stare at it. So what do we do? We all go stare at it, right? Oh, these glasses, these specialty glasses, they're going to make the difference. We're just looking at any excuse to do something we're told not to do. But it's funny because when, we, when I went outside, the whole kind of area in which I was in just became dark for a moment. It's, you know, middle of the afternoon. It's supposed to be light outside, but the, the sun had essentially been covered up and it was different. It, it felt like it was daytime. But it was, there was obviously something wrong, and that's why we obviously went out and, and stared at it. But this, we all took note of this. This was coming. This, this was different. This wasn't part of our normal routine, and so our nature was to be curious. But my question then would be is, why is it sometimes when great things happen that we just don't care? And it's usually because we're focused on ourselves, Right? If you're at work and you're like, there's an eclipse outside, you're like, great, but I got a deadline. <laughs> I'm not going outside to look at 
cool, the, the sun's gone. I, I mean, it'll, it'll leave again another four hours, you know, and then it's going to cycle through, you know. But, but we, if we're self-focused, we're going to miss a lot of things going on. And that's what happened. And so I want to look at first the centurion and then the soldiers. Because I think this is a great example of what oftentimes Jesus is trying to do in our lives. And sometimes we see it. And sometimes we're not paying attention. Luke 23, starting in verse 44. It reads, It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So for three hours, the sun was gone. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God. And said, surely this was a righteous man. So the centurion was standing there at the cross. And more than likely he had been there the whole time. And I can imagine him standing there unbothered by all the events that were taking place. Because, because he was a soldier. I, I'm certain at this point he had probably seen a lot of people die. Especially if he was assigned to the crucifixion. I'm certain probably he'd, have an, uh, he'd even killed a few people being a soldier. So death probably was something that had just become numb or second nature to him. I'm sure he had seen people crying at the cross before as others had been crucified. I'm sure he had seen others ridicule or, or scorn someone up on that cross before as were the routine with thieves and, and evildoers that were being hung for their crimes. This was not new for him. For the soldier, these events were the status quo. But I put myself in the soldier's shoes for a moment. How do you get from death being normal to seeing some man who looks helpless on a cross and looking at him and going, surely this man was innocent. Surely this was a righteous man. And so if I'm in the soldier's shoes, I, I kind of played the events out in my own mind. And it was like, okay, maybe he's standing there and all of a sudden it starts to get darker. And he's, and he's looking for clouds. He doesn't see any blocking the sun. It's just, it's just getting darker. And then, you know, he, he glances over at a sundial or something and he realizes, well, it's not five or six. It's, it's still noon and, and there's no way it should be dark. And, and then as he's standing there, all of a sudden the ground beneath him starts to shake. And, and he's looking around. Is this an earthquake? <laughs> Is this the end of times? I mean, I guess we've just missed the year zero. So maybe it's coming through. I don't know. But he's looking around and he, he doesn't know what to do because it's not a quick shake. The, the world is shaking. And so his first instinct, he looks up and he sees Jesus and he sees his lips moving. He's like, is he casting a spell? Like, what's going on here? And, and then his eyes are glanced over the temple. And the temple is shaking more violently and still shaking more than anything else around him. And, 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 he's, and he starts for the first time in a long time to be afraid. Wow. Death has gr- brought him to a point in which he had become numb. And now he, he'd become afraid, even scared. And then all of a sudden the earth stops shaking. And the light is slowly restored back to the area. And, and the centurion starts to look around for a moment. Like, this just actually happened was this in my head? Like, am I okay? You're checking, did someone steal my wallet? You get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you're looking around trying to figure out what's going on. And then he stands up and he looks right at Jesus. 
And for some reason, he can't take his eyes off of him. There's something different about this person up here that I've been watching this whole time. And there's something different about this man. And he begins to question, was was this man who he says he was? Because as he looks up, he he notices a sign that was written over Jesus' head. And it said, King of the Jews. Wait, was he? Did we just blow this really bad? Yeah. (laughs) Amen. Yeah. And And I think what the reality starts to set in for this soldier, like, oh no, this man was innocent. Surely he was the son of God. The world just proved it. The world grew dark. The world started to shake. Surely this man was righteous. And I could just see the events playing out. And in that moment, the centurion questioned everything he's ever done in his life. He got it. Nobody talked to him. Nobody, you know, invited him to a Bible talk. But he was standing near Jesus, and that was enough. And as I thought about the centurion, something stood out to me. He was able to witness a lot of the things Jesus did, even though the centurion was never addressed. And the only way he was able to do that was because he was looking at him. So for me, I had to ask myself, how much have I missed God doing in my life because I was looking elsewhere? Wow. How much have I missed God trying to even help me because my focus was on things that shouldn't be? Talk about it. See, although the centurion had seen many people die, probably even seen many people hang on the cross, the events that took place forced him, compelled him to look at Jesus. He had no other choice because he didn't know what else to do. If you learn one thing from this lesson today, I'd like it to be this. Things are always different when you are near Jesus. Your world will be different, whether you like it or not, when you stand near Jesus. I don't think the centurion liked the ground shaking beneath his feet. (laughs) I, I, I don't think the centurion really liked the sky growing dark. But it really didn't matter what the centurion thought. When you stand near Jesus, things will always be different. Our world is different when we're near Jesus. Our lives, whether we like it or not, are different when we're near Jesus. We see things differently when we stand near Jesus. So my question to you is, how close are you standing to Jesus? Are you standing close enough to see those differences? Because when you're standing close, you'll see, truly see who Jesus really is. Yeah. Think about uh, what the centurion saw for a moment as he stood close to Jesus. He saw Jesus take care of his mom. He said, John, hey, look out for her. Mom, look out for John. You guys are going to need each other. Yeah. Jesus is on the cross. He's dying. He's in pain. The life is leaving his body. And hey, you guys need to look out for each other. He saw Jesus refuse a painkiller, the wine mixed with gall, which would have numbed and made the crucifixion a little bit easier. He said, no, I don't want that. I'm not looking for an excuse or an out. I want you to know I love you. He saw people insult Jesus and and he remained silent. And we know Jesus had the strength to talk back because he did when he was talking to his mother and, and John. But in those insults, he said nothing. 
He saw Jesus forgive a robber who had earlier ridiculed him. And in that moment, he still showed forgiveness. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. He even saw Jesus ask God to forgive his fellow soldiers who were dividing his clothes up. And said, Father, forgive them. Love them. They don't know what they're doing. Have mercy on them. They are innocent. All while he's hanging there in pain, lifeless, hurting. By standing near Jesus, the centurion was able to see all this. The centurion was able to see the full effect of the love of Jesus. Even though it was never directed at him. Many of us oftentimes struggle to feel connected to God. But I would ask you to evaluate how close you're actually standing near Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't move. He's in the same place, which makes it easy to find him. But I think oftentimes we don't feel connected because we've wandered so far off. We left. I think a great story is the one of the prodigal son who returns. The father didn't move. The father stayed in the same house the whole time, hoping his son comes home. He didn't say, well, my son's out. I'm going to leave, so he'll never find me. No, the father was consistent. So when the son wanted to come back, he would be able to. Jesus is consistent. For many of us that often feel like we've drifted, he's in the same place. He wants you to come back. He wants you to be with him, but it's on us to make that journey. Yeah. You know, I think some questions that we got to ask ourselves. Are the times that we're having with God quality? Are we asking God to guide our steps? Or are we just hoping he confirms the direction we're already going? Because there's a difference. God, I want you to bless me when I do this. Well, what if God doesn't want you to do that? (laughs) Are we looking for wisdom? Are we trying our best to dwell in the spirit and allow the spirit to have a huge presence in our lives? Are we open to allowing the Spirit to have a huge present and impact in our lives? And I think Jesus wants this for us. He wants us to be with Him. He wants us to have a relationship with us. He, he wants to guide our steps for us. He wants to encourage us and He wants to build us up. Yeah. But He wants us to make the decision to come to Him. Yeah. He's the one hanging on the cross, not you. Yeah. He's posted into the ground, not you. Yeah. We are movable. I think we've got to remember that. And I think we also have to make a decision that we're going to listen when he does speak. Because oftentimes we can, we can get to the cross. We can be standing there and then we're not paying attention. And that's what happened with the, the soldiers. And we're going to look at these soldiers here. Because when we look back at the cross, we notice this centurion who observed all this and saw Jesus. And his response was, surely this man was innocent. Surely this was a righteous man. But then we we look and and right next to him were the other soldiers who had something else they were focused on. So go to John chapter 19. Then we're going to be in verse 23. It's up there on the screen as well. These soldiers had the same opportunity to witness Jesus, but their eyes were elsewhere. Verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them. With the undergarment remaining, this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. 
This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. For these soldiers, the cross was an opportunity to profit off the death of someone else. The cross meant personal gain for them. So in Jewish culture, uh, Jewish men traditionally wore five garments. They wore shoes, they wore a turban, they wore a girdle, they wore a tunic, and they wore an outer robe. And so they said that they divided the stuff equally, and there was one thing left, and uh, that was, I believe, the the tunic, right? And so the best piece of this, though, would have been that seamless tunic. But it had to be woven in one piece and not torn to be of actual value. And so instead of tearing it, they knew it would have its value, so they, they casted lots so someone would get the whole thing. Otherwise, it would have been worthless. And it's interesting because this is probably one of the most valuable things Jesus owned. Maybe it was a gift from his mother, because traditionally Jewish men would receive these types of clothes from their parents. And that was it. He didn't own anything else. It really was just all he had. But for them, it was, hey, we've got to sell this. <laughs> Let's throw this up on eBay. You get what I'm saying? Like, we're, we've got to find a way to profit from this poor man. Their mentality as they stood near the cross was to be self-focused. How can I benefit? They were doing their best to be the soldiers of fortune that they were just trained to be. You know, and this is a side note. This is how my mind works. Many of you know this. I always feel like I have to apologize. But as I was writing this lesson, I had this thought. When Jesus died and, and he was buried, they wrapped him in linen, right? And so obviously they had just taken his clothes and they've been scattered among the soldiers. But, you know, Jesus came back. And he's still wrapped in linen. He's probably going to want his clothes back. <clears throat> Would you, what if you're, like, you hear a knock at the door and you open it up and there's Jesus in the linen like, hey, man, can I get my tunic? <laughs> uh, you're going to give him his tunic. Because you're like, you're supposed to be dead. And I don't want any part of this. So, yes, here you go. I mean, just think about kind of the audacity. You're like, Jesus, like, hey, man, you took my clothes. I had nothing else. You, you took what I had. And, and I think the reality is, is these guys, they, they, they stole from Jesus. And, and Jesus came back, in my opinion, was like, hey, man, I'm going to need that back at least for 40 days. You can keep it after that, but I'm going to need it. But then I started thinking about my own life. And I'm like, when I die, I can't take any of this with me. Jesus is going to ask for it all back. So am I going to give it willingly? Or are there things in my heart that I've been holding on to that I deem more valuable than Jesus? And that really convicted me. And I I hope it convicts you because Jesus will come knocking. (laughs) Hey, I'm going to need that back. And are we like, oh, absolutely. Or are we scared and petrified that that we can't have this item or job or whatever anymore? And and I think for us, we've got to go, Jesus, everything I have is yours. Everything. And I'm just grateful that you allow me to hold on to it. You know, the the soldiers at the foot of the cross, they were more focused on the right now. How can I gain from what little this man had? They were standing near the cross. They could have focused on Jesus. They could have focused on the darkness. They could have focused on the earthquake. But they were focused on themselves and the money. And they probably felt the earthquake. 
they probably heard about, oh, the, the temple tour, and, or the, uh, the curtain in the temple tour, and, oh, I guess it was dark. But they just, it was all about them. Yeah. And as we approach the cross, I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Are we focused on Jesus? Are we focused on us? And I think the other thing that's important is when we have people in our lives, are they pointing us back to Jesus or are they telling us about ourselves? And there's a difference. Hey, you just need to get better in this. You just need to do better in this. And and there may be some truth to that. But I think the answers will always be found in Jesus. And I think oftentimes what we can even do is we can counsel people or, or excuse me, allow people to counsel us who don't necessarily have the mindset of Jesus in their lives. And so the advice they give us won't make sense. And, and sometimes we even follow it, which doesn't make sense to me because it's not about Jesus. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of, cross, uh, power of God. The cross doesn't make sense to people who are not standing near it. People who give us advice that isn't Jesus-focused, you've got to ask, are they standing near Jesus? Am I standing near Jesus? Do I know what that looks like to stand near Jesus? Because the cross is foolishness to those who aren't standing near it. Because they're not looking at it. Because they don't get it. And I think our mentality needs to be all eyes on Jesus. Look at the cross. Look at what he's done. And for me, I've just got to tell myself, you know, I, I got to make sure every day my focus is on Jesus. And what I've realized is when I focus on Jesus, I can be better at the things God has called me to do. Yeah. Because he's in the fight with me. Because I, I feel his love. I feel his peace. I feel that grace throughout my life. You know, and so I started to ask myself, why does the cross seem foolish to other people? And then I thought about the soldier. As the soldier, excuse me, the centurion, as the centurion stood there, Jesus never addressed him, but he saw Jesus love his mother and his apostle. Jesus, he saw Jesus forgive the soldiers. He saw Jesus forgive the man who was making fun of him, the robber behind him. He saw love because he was looking at it. People who aren't near the cross won't see or understand love. They can't see what real forgiveness looks like. They can't see what real power looks like because they're only looking at themselves. So what are we looking at? Are we looking at ourselves or are we looking at the cross? We have a savior that absolutely loves us and wants to be with us. And God allowed this centurion to see firsthand all the love and forgiveness that Jesus had to offer just by standing next to the cross. So our lives, our mentality, our heart needs to be, we're going to make a decision every day to stand near the cross and look up at Jesus. See his love, see his mercy, see his grace. You know, when we started this lesson... I told a story about the response of the freed slaves. The songs they sang became different. They were sung with more passion and with more heart because they were singing a song as a free men and women. It was no longer a false hope 
or you know, a, a far-off dream. It was a reality. For Christ, dying on the cross, our freedom is a reality. We get to live as free men and women every day, knowing we've got a Father who is guiding our steps, directing us to heaven. We've got to be excited about that, overjoyed about that. So how do we respond? My call for you is to allow your routines, although they may look the same, to be filled with Jesus. Allow our lives to be overflowing with grace, mercy, joy, compassion, because that's what we saw with Jesus on the cross. And I believe when we do these things, God's going to work everything out. Whether we can see it or not, God will work everything out. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer, and then we'll have uh, one more song, or response and a couple more songs. Let's bow. Father God, we are thankful and grateful for all the ways you take care of us. God, we are so humbled by your servant, Jesus. Sorry, excuse me, your son, Jesus, who became a servant for us and died and taking care of us in ways we could never imagine. God, I pray that we can be a great example to the people in our lives. We can make a decision every day to look at the cross and fall more in love with you. God, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen.